Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name's Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today, Effie and I are revisiting an old episode on compersion and jealousy. As some of you may know, the Curious Fox podcast was originally live recordings of the Curious Fox socials. In pre-COVID days, we organized peer panel discussions where we hosted a group of people with diverse lived experience, perspective, and identities to share their stories and answer questions from those in the audience. We miss those in-person days and hope that listening to this episode helps you feel the same sense of community that we felt in the room. On this particular day, we took a look at the feeling of compersion. Jealousy and its counterbalance, compersion, come up over and over as a major point of exploration in people's journey into non-monogamy. Though neither jealousy nor compersion are exclusively about non-monogamy. Most of us are very familiar with the green-eyed monster, It's a potent concoction of insecurity, fear, and concern over what we perceive to be lacking. This all-consuming feeling can cause something close to delirium when served alongside love if it goes unchecked, unprocessed, and unaddressed. However, it can also be a revered teacher if we can approach it with curiosity, humility, and willingness to grow. It can guide us into a deeper understanding of our desires desires we might be repressing or feel we don't deserve to have fulfilled. It can show us where healing is required. It can pilot our conversations towards the actual issues versus the symptoms. Compersion may be less known by name, but it's equally universal. The term compersion is used mostly by those practicing non-monogamy to describe a feeling of joy when their partner is enjoying another connection, interaction, or relationship with somebody else. Although it's said that the concept of compersion was originally coined by the Carista Commune in San Francisco in the 1950s, the feeling itself is as old as humankind. In its contemporary iteration, it may seem like an impossible feeling for some. Feeling joy because your partner is having an intense connection with someone else? Feeling joy because your partner had awesome sex with someone else? Feeling joy because your partner just came back from a date with somebody else and they feel ecstatic about it? Sounds crazy. Well, it may not be as crazy as you think. First, the feeling itself is not isolated to non-monogamy or romantic relationships. We've all felt that burst of joy for a friend who finally got their dream job or a family member who looked radiant on their wedding day. We know what that feels like. The question is, can this be achieved in situations where jealousy may arrive? Can it really be a viable option then? This idea of pure joy, unadulterated by self-interest, is not something non-monogamous people have invented. It's in fact ancient. It's one of the four virtues in Buddhism, also known as the four immeasurables. In Sanskrit, it's called mudita. The English translation for the Sanskrit word is sympathetic joy. In both Buddhism and its more contemporary iteration, 
Compersion is often mentioned as the opposite of jealousy and envy. It's also regarded as the most difficult virtue to cultivate. In this episode, you'll hear from a panel of folks who have been practicing non-monogamy for a few years, as well as from foxes who were in the audience who shared questions about how to manage jealousy and cultivate compersion. You'll hear from Eric, who was introduced to non-monogamy through a play party, and seven years into a polyamorous marriage where they actively work on growing together and feeling joy for each other's joy. Alti, who despite being a sex educator and teaching classes on compersion, jokes about still working on getting his Captain Compersion badge. And Clara, who's a scientist turned nonviolent communications educator, who shares how developing her communication tools helped to deepen both her experience with compersion and her relationship with her partners. As usual, the conversation took natural turns and expanded into all areas, only to find its back to this beautiful feeling. Whatever your relationship looks like, actively and consciously cultivating joy is worth every bit of the effort. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. I'm (laughs) Eric. Hi, Eric. I have been practicing poly for seven years or so. Sort of discovered it on my own, I guess. I was... I call it like New York City, okay, Cupid window shopping, like I, <laughs> I think a lot of people do. I was doing that for a while and it felt like eventually it started to feel like I was lying to everyone that I was seeing. Even if I wasn't actually lying, it was, how was your week? Uh, it was fine. That's not the answer. You know, the answer is I went to the beach with Bree and I went on, you know, to see a movie with Casey. Like I wanted to talk about the things I was doing, the people I was seeing. So I kind of just decided to start talking about everybody with, <laughs> I scared a lot of people away, but some of the people I was dating uh, were more open to that. And then I met someone who brought me to a sex party and that pretty much changed my life uh, in a way specifically though because I when I was there I met a woman who is now running that party as well I started dating her we were dating for a couple years I think um I ran the party with her and there's just like the motherload of poly people well that party but there's a lot of different things that now pull I think poly people together I say practice poly because I don't think it's a thing. I think you can be poly minded, but I feel like poly is a practice. It's a thing you have to do. And, and the more you, you know, when you when you're doing it, then you become poly. So inherently by hanging out with other poly people, that happens um, through that seven years. I became very close with one of my partners who I just got married to in April, August. What was that? August. <laughs> one of those. So at some point, it's at some point recently. Yeah, through seven years, we've been through, I think, pretty much every structure that we could have been where I had another girlfriend before I was boyfriend and girlfriend with her. Uh, we we were dating and I had a girlfriend and she didn't have a boyfriend where she was discovering dating in our relationship. And then and then she had a boyfriend and then the other girlfriend I had, we kind of just transitioned to friends. So then I was she had another partner and I didn't and kind of backwards and forwards. And it's interesting. We've been through a lot and we both kind of, we teach it a lot. I mean, in running large parties with poly people, you, you tend to talk about it a whole lot. So we've been through every different kind of structure that we think we could find, but then something else happens. That's the first time that that happens. So we're constantly learning together and yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Great. Can I pass it on to you? Yeah, go ahead. 
Hello. My name is Clara. I think you will soon notice an almost like a noticeable accent in me. I, I'm, I'm sure in it, so it's, I, I work so hard at hiding it's not true. Uh, I'm Italian. I'll say it right, right away so it's clear. Uh, the journey into poly. I, I think for way before hearing about it, I certainly, like probably many of you as well, I had a sense of... Oh gosh, there has to be something different. And why do we make such a big deal about the fact that we may experience attraction to other people besides our primary partner? And, you know, I grew up in Italy. I only moved here 12 years ago. So definitely there, even less than here, there was nothing of this kind. So no framework whatsoever. So it's almost as like, you know, when you don't have the vocabulary for something, it's almost you cannot perceive it or can, you can even fathom that there can be something else. I actually remembered one as I was preparing for tonight, an episode where I was reading an Italian novel soon after I moved to New York and somewhere in it was not a deep novel, just so you know, and I think that I would recommend necessary, but, <laughs> but there was a point towards the end of the book where the protagonist who, and he, and his partner would end up with uh, living separately, but being together. And that was like the first kind of inkling of different possibilities. And I was reading that. I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, that, that I can see that. Yeah, that, that, that sounds cool. And then things like that, you know, started to resonate at times. I had a couple of very unsuccessful attempts at articulating this when I didn't have a framework for that. <laughs> didn't work well at all. Uh, some people still do not speak to me uh, to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, actually, I encountered the term for the first time about nine years ago and with a former partner of mine. And uh, he had been in a poly relationship. So he said, you know, I wasn't a poly. What? When I what? Napa. I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And it wasn't immediately, oh, God, th there's something. There's something that can capture what I was thinking. Now, unfortunately, he hadn't been like overly excited about it. So it was more like, yeah, you know, it wasn't that, but it, it was a bit painful and challenging. Aside from that, this was probably one of the first very kind of conscious or a, let's call it emotionally mature relationship that I had. And so even though we really were not poly. We navigated our relationship with a lot of transparency and with the idea of, uh, you know, if thing comes up, let's talk about it. And so let's not hide from that. And it just, thing did not come up for a while until they did come up. And so eventually I really felt very hard in love with someone after maybe three years into our relationship. We spoke about it. We tried the three of us, I mean, not necessarily all together, but one on one in some ways. Eventually me and my former partner transitioned and since and very amicably to the point that I still cohabit with him four years later, it's like become like my best buddy. And he is often here, not tonight, but he's another fox, he's an amazing person. And since then, since that transition, and uh, I really went more into wanting to explore this more consciously. And, and that's, of course, when I met Effie, because things just happen when, when you're ready for them. At that point, though, I think this is interesting to mention, there started to be something else that was very relevant to my exploration, which was uh, I started practicing and studying nonviolent communication. I'm sure some of you may have heard that. And uh, I think most people know about that uh, more from the kind of the language model of some, some form of speaking and in a certain way. And 
um, the way I arrived to that was a bit different. And I was taught NVC more as a really, I want to say, as a map to understand my life from a perspective of needs. And so NVC as a practice led me to really deconstruct almost all the things that all the assumptions that I had about how things should work and, and how to make decisions in my life. And of course, one of the first things that came was how to do relationships. And that also led me to a complete career transition. I was a scientist before. That's what brought me here to the States. And then since about four years ago, I shifted. I left my older job and now I teach nonviolent communication. And uh, it was quite the leap. But it was so crucial because, uh, and I think it informed a lot of the way I approached poly which was more of, I, I call it like, I feel like I resonate with the idea of, of anarchy, but in, for me, anarchy means uh, kind of needs-based or agreement-based, conscious relationships. I mean, I don't want to, it's kind of, I approach it in a way where I, I don't take for granted the form that my connections can take and I allow them or allow the people in them to slowly discover where, you know, where we, can we land in our connection. So fast forward to, to now, I mean, I... Again, I think I more consciously started to walk the polypath maybe, I would say four years ago, because that was happening alongside with my career transition. I did not have a lot of bandwidth to date. Honestly, it was, you know, I felt so shaky, so unstable that the least of the things on my mind was exposing myself to something more. It was like letting go of all reference points. But I brought it into the way I dated. Usually I dated for a couple of years, one person at a time in spite of still bringing the, the intention of openness. I mean, I want to, this is how I want to approach it. But yes, with uh, more or most of my energy focused on, on the, the change in careers. And then it was actually just this past summer. I was like, okay, now maybe, you know, start to feel a bit more comfortable here, maybe opening up horizons a little bit more. And of course, lo and behold, uh, something appeared, someone appeared right at that point here at Curious Fox. And so it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. So since I would say, so since the summer, it's been really quite a deep dive into, into more of the uh, real experience of poly, meaning having multiple partners and uh, for the first time connecting with metamorphs or with my partner's partners. It's like something uh, after discovering it, there's no way I could, I could not embrace for me, you know, this way of approaching relationships. And, and that doesn't exclude in my view that then you, you may, you know, everyone may choose the form that best suits them. Mm -hmm. So whether, and that to me, we may include being monogamous if that's a choice. And I love that's very much usually how you present that. So there's a lot more and I'm looking forward to share all sorts of, you know, nuances, but I'll shut up now. <laughs> thank and, you. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Beautiful. Hello, everyone. I'm LT. Tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a native New Yorker. I identify as a queer person, uh, also as non-binary and polyamorous. So I try to hit all the, <laughs> all the boxes so that no one wants to talk to me. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's very fun. I'm also a uh, pleasure-based sex educator as well, and I teach a myriad of different, well, I should say lead. I don't really think of it as teaching because I learn a lot uh, working with people, but yeah, so we lead a myriad of courses uh, with uh, my good friend uh, who is a pro-dom, and yeah, yeah, we do kink classes, we do intimacy classes, 
And as far as my journey uh, relationship wise, I always kind of reevaluate it. And sometimes I have to remind myself not to discount the time where you feel like you weren't as present or you weren't doing it as well, or you weren't as emotionally mature. The piggyback of what Clara said, consciously with the poly community and really, like I said, building a community, I would say about five years. I like to tell people I've been non-monogamous since I was at least eight years old. <laughs> there's, there's context to that. I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't romantically seeing anyone, but I would always go, I would always go to my parents and ask them why people only were married to one person. Yeah. So my mom was really big about counter education, I suppose. So I'd go to school, I'd learn something, I'd come home and she would make me learn something else. So <laughs> I'd have to study all these different cultures uh, around the world and then it would come up. So I would ask and they would just, only answer I would get was, well, bigamy is illegal. And I was like, well, that's not really a great answer, you know? <laughs> like most of the stuff that was going on in, in my community, even within my home, was illegal. So I'm like, well, it's not really like a... a a thing. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, that's not really an answer. Uh, but, I, but I never wanted to have one best friend. I never wanted to play one sport, you know? So there was never a thing where I felt like I needed to choose. So I've been chasing polyamory. That's how I like to describe it. Chasing polyamory, trying to find a community, trying to find language around it, trying to not force myself to fit in with something that I didn't feel uh, came naturally to me. So I would say 2002, I was living in Atlanta. I met, um, again, this is a long time ago. Right. There was no, the internet wasn't really popping like that. So you kind of, you had to meet people the old fashioned way. You had to meet them in somewhere. Right. She was a member of a sex club that was maybe about 15 minutes from my house. So, um, I met her and she had said, Oh yeah, listen, I'm a member of this club. She was very open. She was very uh, free and very liberated. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, she was like, yeah, I'm going to this club. Would you like to go Saturday? And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. I knew about it. Trust me. I knew all about this club. And I remember calling my best friend and I was like, Hey, guess where I'm going tomorrow night? And he was like, where? So I said the name. He was like, motherfucker, not compersion. It was, it was not compersion. Yeah. He was not, he was not joyous. He was not joyous for me. Not, at least not in the moment, at least not in the moment. And that really was like one of our first uh, dates, which is interesting. I tell people it's the, I saw someone, I saw them have sex with someone before I ever had sex with them. And there was nothing, nothing came up. Like I didn't like, I wasn't like, Oh, this is gross. I wasn't turned off by it. I wasn't, I, I really was excited about how liberated everyone felt and how free everyone was. And I had some of the best conversations in the back of that place. But yeah, that's, uh, that's who I am for the most part. And I've experienced a lot of different uh, relationship styles I've gone back and forth. There's times where I'm like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm willing to try any relationship that feels like it fits uh, the partners involved. And I still believe that uh, just without monogamy. So yeah, that's, that's where we are. And I'm, I'm happy to be here with you folks. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Elsie. Um, and that kind of brings us to the end of the intros. And this is where we open it up to you guys to ask any question that you have. So I am blessed to be in a really lovely triad. Well, not, not triad, a, a partner whose partner I really love. So I've been lucky so far, despite being a Scorpio, not having had a lot of jealousy in this. But the one time I did notice was when I felt like I wasn't full. And this specifically happened when he was traveling. And because of the situation, like he was able to see her 
more frequently, but not me. And he and I were like able to meet for dinner and stuff, but not really be intimate. So I was feeling like I was being teased and kind of like had to really just stay present to my desire for him, but not be able to do anything about it. Curious if any of you have had that experience of ultimately, how do you show up in compersion and loving and giving when you feel like your needs are not being met and then you have to watch your partner give that to someone else? Cool. Just to sort of summarize, how do you find the space for compersion when our needs aren't met in a relationship? I don't exactly have an answer for that because I I think it's, it's a thing you have to work through. There's no easy answer, I think, for that. What I have found in looking at that jealousy, and you kind of answered your own question there, I feel like, which is just the communication. Mm-hmm. Like it all like that is almost always the source of problems like that. And almost always the answer that that I have found is articulating what you need or what you're not getting and talking about what they need and and working on on some way to make you and them and and everyone kind of happy in a way. And that's not always possible, uh, obviously, but the more that it's not just kind of you feeling these feelings. The other really, I think, important thing that that I've learned about, it sounded kind of like you were talking about jealousy or or like feeling that feeling of jealousy, that like J word that that people are (laughs) nervous about. I like that feeling because I, f- I found that I, what I feel, what I'm actually feeling when I feel that is envy. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a useful feeling because now I've learned something new about myself that I, maybe you didn't realize you wanted to drive them to the airport specifically. Right. Mm-hmm. But now you, you know that, and you know, if, and when that happens again, you're able to use those tools to set yourself up for, for a better, you know, that happens Feelings get hurt all the time, but I think there's a lot of learning you can do and t- talk about it. Don't hold that in. Obviously, come to a meeting and talk to all of us about it. That's a, that's a great start, you know? Yeah, I, I love your question, and I, I resonate with that a lot, as in uh, one of the relationship that is the dearest to me as is, in a way, has, a, I can call it a triad in some way, and uh, although it's always so reluctant to labels, but in a way, there are two people that I really love very deeply, and uh, it began more you know, with, one of the, with one of them, and then my initially met more, then became also a partner to me, and that is a very interesting and delicate dynamics in that it's like almost like the three one-on-one dynamic plus what emerges from the three of us together. And I think one thing that's very, very important to me is that we all pay attention to each of these relationships almost and make and because there are needs almost for all of them and uh, like being careful to name them and to not, you know, we can't assume that they're all, you know, equal. We have, you know, we have different nuances in the, in each of our connections. And I think it's, uh, it's important that we pay attention, for example, that we, you know, we value the one-on-one time that we have and to pay attention when, when and maybe circumstances do not allow for that to to at least name that you know like even in a situation like the one you described like where you were to where there was a discomfort for you and and an unmet need and maybe the situation couldn't change to maybe just make space to just name that okay there is a discomfort i can feel that it's okay it's going to happen maybe not being scared to sometimes like you know i'm scared even to admit it because like you know to one of them 
time because oh my god that doesn't mean that I I don't know that I love the other person less or it's okay we're gonna feel things and uh, and we had recently an experience when one of us brought up an, an experience of uh, of jealousy for a, for a, in a, in an episode or an imbalance of of attention and and we named it and we kind of even just the, the experience of of listening to to one another and and really bring a lot of empathy in ability to just listen we don't necessarily need to fix the thing we can just listen, make space, acknowledge. And most often, once that happens, the problem is not even longer there. The other thing for me, it's sort of along the lines of what Clara is saying, is that for me, I keep an eye on like episodes versus trends. Just episodes of miscommunication, episodes of like, oh, it didn't feel good versus trend of I'm not getting my needs met. And this is this relationship doesn't make me happy. This doesn't this relationship doesn't bring me joy. Right. There is no space for joy versus here are these like human to be human is to be flawed. And here where we like just we're being human, like we're just miscommunicating and we're being human and it doesn't work. So it's just episodes because feelings are going to get hurt. We are flawed. Communication is hard. Our relationships are hard. I think to recognize that it's just an episode and that we're not drowned by it. We're not defined by it that, you know, we name it in, in the hopes that it won't happen again, but also realizing that it just might, you know, and as long as it doesn't define your relationship and it's not the trend, I think you kind of just live and work through it. One of the things that I say to people, the idea for me, the ideal is to build relationships that can withstand the humanity of the people inside it. And I think that's then that's allowing for just we're going to fuck up. You know, we're going to hurt one another. Hopefully we build a shell that allows us to like heal within that within that structure as well. I recently exited my first ever poly relationship and I'm trying to figure out there's a database term called rolling back your changes. Do I need to like roll back my understanding of how poly I may or may not be? Do I need to roll back the Facebook posts where I referenced more than two? Do I need to put a different message out there given the possibility that I still might be a hopeless monogamous romantic like my ex-fiance was three and a half years ago? Just all of those questions to the panel and thank you for everything you've said. Like I said earlier, I feel like poly is a thing you do. I feel like I am poly, but if I wasn't practicing it with um, other partners, then I would just, I don't know, like poly minded. I suppose that could be a thing, but if you feel so, I guess then to answer your question is that if you feel like that was the right structure for you, I don't see the need to, I don't think you have to roll that any of that back. I would say continue to look for other other people that are, are open. I guess it depends on what you, what you need. Uh, I think you, you are going to have the answers for some of those better than any, uh, like we would. Again, like we were saying uh, earlier, a lot of this is just about the relationship that you have with people and, and what you need from them. I don't know how long your last poly relationship was, but I imagine you'd learn some useful skills about that which I think could be applied to monogamous relationships as well. Communication and things like that. Do you have anything to add? 
So in part, I think maybe it's, uh, yeah, there's a big, it depends because I don't know exactly. It sounds like, do I understand correctly that you're saying that you're in a way questioning, you're being really poly after the end of this relationship? So has there been something that felt didn't work out the way you were imagining it could? Is it something in that direction? Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's really, it's, it's all learning. I mean, it's, I see it's very kind of dy- dynamic. I, I was recalling something that I, I think I heard from uh, Elizabeth Chef when, when she came here about, you were saying Polly is something you do. And I think, and she was mentioning how, you know, there's, in a way you can see Polly as, as an orientation and Polly as a choice, right? So in a way, for some people is something as, is very, it feels very like, Almost like yeah, you know, something that I identify myself with. That once I find it, that that's me. It's like how I love, you know, and it's very natural. As opposed to, or not as opposed to, but alongside with also being a choice that okay it makes sense based on the values that I have. Like for me, there's like a value of honesty and authenticity and and freedom that I just wanna kind of champion them for people in general. Then for me, so going back to that, so whether then a particular form is going to work for me. I think it may depend on, on a lot of different things, maybe where I am in my life in a certain moment, what, what needs are standing out. So I, I'm not sure if I would question completely, like maybe that, you know, is it, I don't see necessarily as black or white, but maybe there's something is going on there that maybe you weren't clearly seeing. So what is that? The interesting question is, okay, what is that? Is it about how to experience a sense maybe of stability or security or so consistency? I don't know. There can be many things. Once you identify that, then maybe you can see, okay, what form or of relating could support that? What, what other ingredients do I need maybe to have that without questioning necessarily the label per se? Um, I'm glad you brought up very uh, patriarchal or heteronormative uh, societal standards on relationships. You know, and another thing, it's, it's be, you know, bringing that into your open relationships or bringing it into polyamory. You're like, you know, like, fuck that noise. Like, seriously you're going to just recreate that same dynamic each time and questioning if you're polyamorous or not relationships don't work. I mean, I know what I mean that and not like they don't ever work. I'm saying relationships don't work. They, they don't work out. Sometimes you have a partner and it's just not a good fit. You know, they, you have an agreement and they just go out and break every agreement. And then you have other partners where you're being asked to do things that don't feel natural to you. So just because I call it a certain type of relationship doesn't mean it's automatically going to work. So there's no fix. There's no like, ah, damn, you know, every time I'm in a monogamous relationship, it doesn't work out. I'm just going to do this poly thing. Mm -hmm. And then that's not working out, right? Because now you've, you've basically what I've done is I've opened a pizzeria and I'm losing money. And then I open another one a couple blocks down, right? It's just like, and it's like, well, how are you feeling at this business? Why are you opening up? Right? So it's, it, it's, it's, it, it, turned into, it turns into that. So I have to look at how I'm approaching it. Like, how am I approaching my relationships? How present am I? How intimate am I? How vulnerable am I? Right? And then in order for me to fully assess where I'm at and what I can bring into a relationship. And then when you start meeting new partners and adding to that, you'll figure out where your, where your edges are. You'll figure out where your bandwidth is, as they say. And you might be, I've met people that I'm like, oh, you're so wonderful. And they're like, you know, I'm kind of polysaturated right now. Right. So <laughs> that's really self-aware to know that like, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you're seeing too many people. 
You know, even times I, I got to pull back because people are, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing Saturday? What are you doing Saturday? What are you doing Saturday? Right. So I'm just like, God damn. Right. So I'm like, well, between one, you know, and, you don't, and I don't want to do that because it's very mechanical. Right. The other thing I would add not to go on forever, but this kind of got me worked up in a good way, in a very, in a very good way. You know, you meet people, we meet, we meet each other. Uh, we all come into the community to learn. We're all learning no matter where we've been in our, in our journey. But in the beginning, because it's become so accessible, I think nowadays, people are, are jumping right in. Like they just jump in. I mean, they like, you know, two feet in. They're on this app. They're on this website. They're at, you know, they're at Curious Fox. They're at the party Eric's throwing. You know, they're at the pool party. You know, everywhere I go, I see them. I'm like, shit, right? Um, so people are like jumping head first, like deep, deep in, right? Deep in. They don't know where their edges are. They don't know what's going to come up for them. And they're just way in, right? They're way in. And, and you don't realize you're jealous until someone's, your partner's like, Tied up, suspended, there's a flogger, there's wax, right? There's like, you know, 15 different people, there's a pool, and you're like, what in the hell just happened, right? Um, so so I, I, think it's, I think it's important to, to really take, take your time with it. You know, really take your time. There's, there's, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying I'm poly-minded, you know, or I feel poly as an identity, but I'm not ready for LT to be in the kitchen. Like, just I'm not ready for that, right? So as opposed to saying... I need to be ready and I want to be ready, right? Because we're, we're fearful of doing something wrong. Like I'm a poly wrong. I'm, I'm a bad poly person. Like if you've probably heard it a billion times, right? I, if I wish I had a dollar, every time someone said, I just feel like, you know, I'm just bad at poly. I'm just a bad poly person. And I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. You know, it's almost like someone coming, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a really bad Martian. It's like, yeah, what the, what, what, in, in what context, right? If, if you're unethical, then definitely you're doing it wrong. That's only the only hard line I got is that if, if it's unethical, if you're doing other people harm, you're doing it wrong. As far as like, you know, whatever, you know, shit's not working out. I wasn't ready for what I, I stepped into. Then, yeah, we you, what you said, you, you know that you need to pull back and think about, OK, what steps? What did I do in that relationship that contributed to it either being not as successful as I wanted to be or what can I do for myself to where I walk into the next experience, monogamous, polyamorous, whatever we want to call it, where I feel like I'm setting my boundaries and I'm setting my expectations and I'm being open. So, yeah. I agree with everything he says. Yeah. Also, just one little addendum. Poly is a bit of a catch-all, just from a language point of view. I always like, what does that mean to you? And what does that look like for you is a really good question to ask. I actually agree that with personally, I think monogamy similarly, like we say, oh, monogamy, but we don't, you still need to investigate what that is because like, is, is sexting somebody cheating? Is watching porn cheating? Even monogamy has like some definitions needed and poly or polyamory or open relationships, even that, like you need clarity on what that looks like for the other person. So you might have just come out of a, a poly relationship, but like, what was that relationship really looked like, you know? And it does, that doesn't now mean that you're not good at poly overall. It's just like that just didn't work for you. So investigate what didn't work for you. And I bet there are things that did work for you. So like, those are your takeaways. And what didn't work is where there's room for adjustment. So it's to say like, I'm not good at poly ever. Cause like, what does that really mean? Like, what are you not good at? Like, what is, which part of it that you're not good at? You need to identify that. Uh, first time boxer. Hi panel. Hey, Woo. welcome. 
I recently and all the time have uh, compersion moments, but recently are like a really great one. But I was wondering what some of your favorite compersion moments are, some of your happy poly moments. It's not exactly a moment, but I remember the first the first time I really experienced that uh, very firmly. It was, I mean, it, it makes total sense, but um, I was with my girlfriend's boyfriend at the time. They're married now. I was talking to him, and uh, I was very new to this all, and he was like, Oh, like, I love you two together. Like, this is, that's so, like, you make her so happy. You know, we were, we were already saying that we loved each other um, at this point in our relationship. He was like, I I love that so much that you guys, like, you, you make her so happy. And like, I love her. She loves you. You make her happy. That makes me happy. That was the first time someone really articulated that to me that way. Like, I love that you love her because that makes her happy and it makes me happy. And that's great. So um, the, the moments I have most often are just when my partner is with someone that makes her really excited. And that makes me really excited. That excitement, I'm able, you know, we pull into our relationship. It's sort of a selfish act, all these other things we do, because every other partner, every other relationship really fuels our relationship. Um, my favorite compersion, compersive moment was um, I was the best ma'am in my partner and his, his now wife's wedding. And it was so nice. Um, and I'm like, oh, um, it was so nice to be asked to be in the wedding and to be the best ma'am and the ring bearer and to be there, to be included in that way. And just just to sort of even when we see the pictures now, like I'm so glad I was there and I can tell how compersive because I can see like there's a giant smile on my face. I'm like, um, and I think for me, that was definitely like where I really felt I was soaking in it. And it was like it felt good. I love a moment that's a bit almost kind of in in reverse, meaning that I was I was seeing that be modeled to me. But I think it's so important. It was so important to be on the receiving end to seeing that that was possible. And it happened where so I was uh, starting. I, w- I actually hadn't even started dating this person, but I was, something was building up and I was definitely developing feelings towards him. And uh, it was away. So uh, during that time, it was a long distance kind of acquainting. So I happened to, to meet one of his partners almost like before kind of getting closer to him. But there, there was definitely a buildup happening. And she was aware of that. And we met. And I was like, that was, kind, that was really my first true metamorph experience. And I was like, well, how's that, that going to be? What is she going to think of me? Oh, my God. And we met at an event and it was adorable. I mean, and uh, at the end of the evening, I remember she, she came to me and she said, Oh, you're so cool. I'm so glad I met you. And I was like, oh my God, this is possible. And so it was really like the beginning to really pierce the veil. I was like, oh, wow, it is possible to support each other as women, you know, loving the same man. Oh my God, it was amazing. And it was going to happen that soon after that, I was uh, basically going to meet with this uh, man where he was. And when I, as I was flying on my way there and, and during when I was making a connection and, and I was texting this woman and, and she basically texted me like best wishes for the connection that I was going to have, uh, have a great time. And I was like, oh, my God, oh my God this, is, this is true. It happens. Uh, this is this is possible. So. 
I, I carry the moments so dear in my heart. And there's been, there have been, you know, many following that. But I think that left a really, such a powerful blueprint, you know, that, that yeah, that this is what I want to experience, you know, supporting each other in that, uh, in a way, tapping into so much of reframing from a habit of scarcity that we have, that if I have some, I, I take away from someone else and really seeing that the more experience of love adds to everyone. So, but that was definitely, that's definitely a favorite moment. Yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite moment. These are great stories. It feels good. I'm, I'm really in love with uh, joy and I just like people to be happy and, and experience it. And I mean, it's, it's sincerely, there's probably two recently. Um, uh, one person was having some like communication issues with their primary partner. We just started talking about just communication and connection and how to bring up things that we feel and we desire. And then they were using them and they were like, oh, this is working out so well. And, and we had such a great conversation the other day. And I feel so good about just being able to talk to you because then I'm, I'm going home and my primary partner and we're starting to like, you know, get out of that rut. And, you know, and, and that feels really good. The second one is I, I'm not I'm not really a voyeur. No one in here who knows me should say something contrary to the fact. <laughs> but I was, I, I was at a party recently with someone who's uh, maybe it might be less than six months uh, into polyamory and, and everything. And they had a, this amazing sexual experience with someone uh, who just popped up and was like, hey, what's going on? And um, they came to me after me was like, you, you were just sitting there and you were laying there just, just smiling. And I think at one point you gave me a wink or whatever. And, uh, and I had this biggest grin on my face. It was so, it was so awesome to see, but not the act of sex because you, listen, you've seen one doggy style, you've seen them all. But it was, it was more the fact that this person was finally like, f- like fully realizing uh, something that they desired. Like, wow, you know, like I want to get out here and, and, and felt like, wow, I, I came to the party with, with LT and, he, and it's, it's great. Like it's fully supportive. I don't feel like I need to censor myself. I don't feel like I need to diminish myself and I can just be open. And that was what brought so much joy to my face, you know, not so much just seeing it. It all feels very good. So I feel like I've been in this conversation for about a decade and I've gone through these periods of being really curious and exploring it in small ways and then being really resistant. So I'm really grateful to be here and kind of to piggyback off of the last question. I'm curious to hear of stories where you have had an experience of jealousy with a lover, a partner. And is it something that like, what is it like for you? Do you have an internal kind of coming to a resolution about it? Or is it something that you always share with the person that it came up with? I would just love to hear stories about that. That's a me super important question. And it's to me, I think I long before uh, getting into poly, I was having a habit of suppressing my jealousy and thinking, oh no, that's not cool. You doesn't have to show up. You know, you know, you're, you're above that. And uh, I think that's been a great, great learning experience to to really change my relationship towards it meaning I want to feel that if it's there I really want to make space for that it's okay you know and I actually remind myself I can't force myself into compersion it's gonna arise naturally as I as I you know the mindset shifts but jealousy sometimes comes there for me you know I think it's such a different experience probably for everyone but for me, it comes up as usually as a very kind of gut feeling of, of fear, really fear. It's like, oh, wow, something is going on. 
because I have the habit of sensing and things come up very transparently for me, I, I almost say like when it happens, uh, if someone is with me, they are going to see it. You know, there it's almost going to be impossible not to notice that. But the way I approach it is that I, I just want to feel that, you know, make some space for that. So generally I say something like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling something. Can you just slow down for a moment? And I'm noticing I'm, I've had some reaction to what you just shared with me. You know, and for me, it's just I need to breathe through that, feel what is that telling me? Is it, you know, and it can be many different things at times. It can be something related to a sense of self-worth. It can be something related to a sense of safety or trust or security. So the what to do next would depend. But most really most often <laughs> is about even just having that space that the person who's with me can witness me, me in that place and hold it doesn't have to, he or she that they don't have to fix me but just uh, holding my hand for a moment that I'm having that moment of insecurity and often when when with that that kind of slowly melts or dissipates uh, and so we have with one of my partners this thing that we <laughs> say like tenderness alerts <laughs> you know before entering some conversation like, are you do you are you in a space where you can hear that and uh and then, you know, it's also about letting people because uh, we're so used to, you know, maybe to guilt each other in some way or you need to change something about what you're doing. And so sometimes uh, I need to spend some time to let people know, no, I'm not saying that it's your fault or, you know, not necessarily. I mean, it may happen that some, you want to change something, you know, but most often is really just we're going to have feelings. We're going to trigger each other. You know, it's going to happen. <laughs> we're And so can you just be with me there for a moment and see that pain and then it goes mm. and if it doesn't go I keep seeking what what is it that what's the message what's the message I, I want to be able to feel that because if I don't feel that I don't get the message and I don't know what to do with that mm. yeah and I find that if you don't get the message it just gets louder exactly because its job is to be heard like yeah. the thing with your emotions or their, their job is to be heard and I think that's if you resist it persists idea and maybe one part that's important that I think in that is also once that comes up to then start discerning how, how much of that is, you know, coming from an actual mm -hmm. situation that I'm seeing, how much of that is coming from a story that I'm telling myself mm -hmm. about that. And that also helps me navigate because sometimes I really realize that something is happening, but I'm telling myself that that's because I'm not mm -hmm. enough or that's because, you know, he doesn't care. That's, and so about the story, I have a lot of power because I can, I, you know, I can change the story I'm telling myself. If it's truly a behavior that I'm concerned about, then yeah, it may be need for a dialogue and maybe see if some change is needed. So I wanted to mention yeah, that. Sure. Um, my, my jealousy experience is similar. It, it, it kind of feels like fear mostly. I feel it mostly like pit of my stomach. Right? And it's like a twisting motion. And I know it enough and I've experienced enough that I'm not afraid of it. So I just know what it is. I'm like, oh, here it is. And the story part is where it resonates with you most. In, in my household, we actually use the term, I have a story in my head that... So we will address the story. We'll start the sentence with, I have a story in my head that, and then we'll then share the story. And what it allows is, even if it means, if, even if you're saying something like, I have a story in my head that you don't care about me, is very different than you don't care about me. Because the person has space to reflect on the story rather than feel they need to be defensive, right? Especially if they feel like they care about you deeply. And often in these situations, the other person is like, 
I love you. Like, uh, you know, and then that's, I, I mean, I, I work with people all the time and I see this repeat over and over again. And a good hack that I give them is just to address the story as a story. And it gives people space to be like, okay, there's a story in the middle. Let's get curious about it. Why is it there? How it's showing up? Why is it showing up? You know, what's my part in it? Right. And then it can be addressed in that way. So often for me, the, the sort of the way it goes is like, oh, I'm feeling discomfort. Oh, I necrotize discomfort. What is the story? Then I actually go ahead and say, I have a story in my head that da, 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 da. Mm. and that's how sort of and then once you sort of address it, it dissipates really quickly for me. Once you get it out and the other person is like, huh, yeah, that sucks. That's a that's a really shitty story. Right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it's a really shitty story. Right. And then you can have that space to talk about it and no one's getting defensive. No one's feeling not heard. So that's kind of how the, the, the jealousy thing shows up for me. I try to, um, like I said earlier, I really try to look at that feeling as envy. Because again, I think that envy is a useful feeling and something that I can respond to. Whereas jealousy is kind of like, I'm supposed to have this, I don't have this, that's bad. You know, there's kind of no conclusion or no nothing to, to go off of from there. I found, I, I feel it most, I used to feel it most with like other men, like at parties, like dating a girl that I'm interested in or two girls on, you know, on top of him at a party. Like that's where I started to learn. Like, this is something that I desire. Like now I see that and he, he helped me articulate that. I'm going to set that up for next time. <laughs> right. That's a useful yeah. feeling. Now I can respond to that. The one time that I feel envy that is harder to respond to is when, for example, my partner has a boyfriend and like they're able to share love with each other. And I don't have that at the moment. And that's a bit harder to set up. Right. Um, it's really weird being like in a relationship looking for a relationship that's very complicated and harder to fix. I don't really have a good answer or solution to that other than, you know, it just supporting each other. And again, like I said, with, um, in seven years with my primary, we've been through every sort of different structure as like what the other relationships that we've had and what we've both needed and been going through. And we're still exploring new things after seven years. So yeah, that's the, that's the one difficult thing that comes up. The way that I make the distinction is jealousy is um, I want what you have and envy is I want that too. Yeah, I'm glad you you, know, you uh, articulated that uh, because I, I view jealousy as a coming from a place of lack. Like there's something missing in my life in different areas, not in my personal life, but someone's personal life that feels jealousy. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I've, I've not felt jealousy I don't think ever. I, I think I have felt insecurity in past monogamous relationships when I was much younger, but I don't feel jealousy. There's, there's times, and I, and I say what I feel. Like, it just comes up. So if someone says, oh, uh, me and uh, Eric are going, you don't mind if I use your example, because it's not a real example, but let's just say, oh, me and Eric are going to whatever show. I'll just say, oh, I'd love to go to that show. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just saying I would love like to go to the show. Not that I don't want Eric to go to the show and I don't want you to go to the show with Eric. It just pops up. So whatever just pops up, I just kind of claim it, you know, as opposed to saying, 
fuck Eric. <laughs> right? Right? Because to, to me, that's, 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 to me, that's jealousy. Where you're like, yo, fuck Eric. I hope he falls down the steps. Can't go to the show. I hope the, sh- I hope the show gets canceled. See, that to me, that, to me, that is like some real jealousy as opposed to saying, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Right? Because there's, no, there's nothing else maybe for me. Right? Because I know if I don't have a chance to go to this show, I can never go to the show. Right, because I'm relying so much on some uh, someone else fulfilling holes in my my relationships. Like maybe I don't have a be- maybe I don't have good friends. Maybe I'm not building community. Maybe I don't feel unity with my housemates. Maybe I don't feel connected to my brother or my sister. I don't feel like I can reach out to anybody. Right, so I'm starting to feel insecure because the person that I feel like I need to be there for me is fulfilling their life in many ways. Right. And I need to step back. Okay. Well, well, what's missing in my life? Why did, why I'm, I'm glomming on to this person's relationship. Um, I have a last question. Hi. So I'm what you would call the pivot in a V formation. I'm dating two partners and I love them both very dearly. I've been with one partner for uh, over a year and a half now. Uh, she has a husband that they've been together for over 10 years. And my other partner I met in the past seven months. And, you know, in the, in those seven months we've negotiated to become primary partners um, so my other partner is very supportive of this and is very co- consciously has been very vocal and supportive of this. But at the same time, has been going through a lot of feelings and feeling certain senses of loss. And even though our relationship is not necessarily it's not shrinking or access to each other is not changing, but there's still feelings that are coming up. And in me being the pivot in the middle, I'm finding it sometimes difficult to figure out how much information about my two partners feelings should I share with each other? Because this is sometimes uh, triggered some cycles of, oh, well, why is she feeling upset? And then that triggers the other person to get upset. And then it creates a vicious cycle. So I've been trying to stop the cycle. And I think I've done a pretty good job in that we we all had cocktails last week and had like a nice sit down and, you know, everybody hashed it out. And I feel like that's progress. But how can I break the cycle? How can we break the cycle and also facilitate a culture of compersion in our little polycule? And sorry, can I also add to that? I think... This cycle of like her insecurity kind of like triggers me feeling threatened. And I actually, I don't think that I am feeling jealous at all. And I have had feelings of compersion definitely um, between the three of us. Generally it involves rope. But um, (laughs) I don't necessarily have the feeling of compersion that I would like or the particularly, um, let's say like they have a day I don't feel jealous that they're together, but I don't necessarily always feel like joyous about it. And I guess it's like for me overcoming that cycle that we're going through at the moment, um, I think that's kind of what's getting in the way of me feeling the compersion that I would like. I don't, I don't know exactly what the relationship is between the three of you, like it's how close you feel together. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm just not feeling somebody. I mean, it, it wouldn't matter who they were, if they were dating them or not dating them. Sometimes I meet somebody, I'm just like, I'm just not really feeling this person. You know, I just, whatever. I just don't connect with them. I can actually relate to part of the story. Don't pillow talk. So pillow talk is like, you, you have to, I think one of the things I would suggest doing is talking to partners about what they're comfortable with you sharing with another partner and what they're comfortable with hearing. Uh, I'll give you a, a personal example. I didn't do that one time and I was just kind of not complaining about somebody, but just talking about my inability to understand where things were going wrong in my communication with another person, with a, someone else I was dating. And literally there was pillows, right? So there's pillow talk. And uh, they, they had not met yet. 
I did that for probably too long unconsciously. And then the partner I was with was like, I don't know, just don't ever introduce me to this person. (laughs) And I was like, Oh shit. Right. But I, I didn't ask. And I ended up apologizing. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't even ask if you were okay with hearing about this. You know, I just dove right in because I'm like, oh, I, I care about this partner. I love them. I want to share with them. I want to talk to someone. And I just started going. And I created a, a situation where it soured a relationship that didn't even have a chance, right? Because they're individual outside of me, right? Just because I'm, you know, whether I'm a hinge or a linchpin or a V or whatever, uh, regardless of what the term is, it doesn't mean that these people are not autonomous and they don't have their own agency. They have a right to develop a relationship with each other outside of me influencing that, right? They may like each other more than they like me, you know, and that's fine, right? But I have to allow that to happen. So I think only thing advice I would give you is ask, say, hey, are you, are you okay with me sharing about our relationship with other people and that person and, and give them space to answer. Don't say, I need to know now. I got a meeting. Uber's outside. Yeah. <laughs> say, hey, I want you to think about it. You know, it's not necessary. I don't have to talk about it. I don't need to talk to them about it. Maybe find another friend, call Eric. <laughs> talk. You know, a, a non-biased person is always better. Someone else that's not emotionally attached to a relationship is better. Just like you said, now you don't feel the compersion you want to feel. You know, sometimes you don't feel the high you want to feel, right? And, and that's, that's perfectly fine. So yeah, no, no pillow talk. Also, compersion is something you cultivate, Literally in Buddhism, like Buddha says it's the hardest virtue to cultivate, you know, and it is not something that you just like, I want to be compersive and then you're compersive. Like you have to cultivate it and not force it and just see the joy, just recognize the joy or, or the lack of it without judging. I think that's the other part of it. Also investigate the story, right? What is, what's in the, what's the story that's in the way of you feeling the compersion that you want, which is interesting. That sort of made me think, I was like, that's what I was thinking on. Like, what is the compersion that you want to feel? Like, that seems very specific. So if you're that specific, there's a story somewhere. So I would like look at the story of what's in the way and also just realize it takes time. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes exposure. It takes your fears. Like for me, it just needs to, the things in my head are scarier than the reality. Like the stories I make up are always scarier than, than what's happening. Like the jealousy I feel is always scarier in my head than it is in reality. So what I need is like exposure. Like I need to face that fear, realize it's no way as scary as I think it is. And over time it like calms down and there's space for compersion. So like you guys are doing this, you're so new, the relationship is new, uh, polyamory is new in that particular dynamic. Like you just need to give yourself some time to let those fears like, collect new data, you know, face those fears and eventually they'll like die, die down and there'll be space for compersion. So patience really is what I would say. Yeah. I think it also, to me, it makes me think about two things. One is that in my experience, say that the experience of compersion uh, grows on a sense of the my needs matter and that is kind of perceived and shared by all the people involved like everyone's needs matter and when I sense like that genuine interest you know where we want to find a way to support that is really something that that then kind of creates the ground with that for that genuine cooperation but that but then creating the ground is is it's not like a given you know like as Effie said there's something of some deliberate cultivate cultivation as you say and um, and the other thing that was uh, that was coming to mind was uh, almost I want to say every experience of, of jealousy to me often reveals that I am kind of melting the 
my needs that I, that I have with a specific person that, I'm, that I think is supposed to meet them. If I'm able to kind of step back and really, because in, in my view, needs, I'm, t- I'm talking about really qualities of experience that I'd like to have. So if I'm able to, to kind of step back and get into that, and into that perspective, okay, but there's this need and I can nurture that and, con- and find ways to meet that independently or on also in other ways than that specific person that also helped me usually. I sometimes experience jealousy when I guess when I am too attached to my, I call it my favorite strategy to meet that need. And it's great to have them because we have relationships for, you know, for, for, you know, for that, because they work well to meet our needs, but to be able to experience that I can still care, um, you know, meet that need in some way, then can allow me to let go a bit of the, maybe the expectations on, on other people. Like I mentioned earlier, the labels become a little bit blurrier when you're able to date anyone in a way. The way that you described, you have a V now, right? But you guys are now primaries. So like I have a primary relationship. If I were to describe the shape of all of our, let's say it's a spider web. It's there's like every I have a relationship with every single person I know. Some are more serious. Some are you know, in the, in transition, but different people structure their relationships differently. Some are like more anarchy about it and, you know, non-primary. I've had a primary for seven years. And to me, it's always, the shape has always been the two of us with every other relationship coming off of it. And, and again, there's some of them are W's or, or X's or, you know, some kind of uh, p- Pentagon or crazy, <laughs> crazy shapes. But I think what you need to look at in that is what is that other part of the V, what is that connection point and what does she need? And if she's feeling insecure or like nervous about it, or it's because you're the other half of the V, the shape is changing and that connection is changing in a way. And so I think you want to really just connect and, and see, make sure you're on the same page about what she needs and what you need from that relationship. Like I said, because it's all, it, it becomes very blurry as, you know, like we're boyfriend and girlfriend and monogamous and that's that, right? Well, as soon as it can be anything, then it becomes very difficult to articulate and define things. So the more you can kind of define what, what she's needing from that and then you can put the work into this other relationship, which congratulations on becoming primary and, uh, and, and still keep that other one healthy. I think, you know, you want to work on both. Thank you so much to my, my panelists. Thank you so much. Um, you guys are awesome. This wouldn't happen without you. So thank you very much. We'd love to hear your stories of jealousy and compersion. You can leave us an anonymous message at 201-870-0063 or email us a voice memo or an email at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. We're going to continue the conversation as always on Patreon with some bonus content and questions for our patron members. You can join Patreon and become a supporter of the Curious Fox community and get access to exclusive events, podcast extras, and a lot more. Stay connected with us by joining the conversation on Instagram or Facebook at We Are Curious Foxes. And for extra bonus points, like, follow, and share the podcast so that you can help us challenge the status quo in all things love, sex, and relationships. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, 
who always brings us immense feeling of joy. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.